Hello and welcome to the Marketing Mind podcast brought to you by the all new campaign editorial team. Yes, that's right. If you've not already heard, Marketing Magazine has merged with its sister title, Campaign. I'm Shona Ghosh, technology editor at Campaign UK, and I'm joined by Will Harris, who is a campaign columnist and also a former marketing director of the Tory party. And I'm also joined by Gemma Charles, deputy editor at Campaign UK. Hello to you both. Hello. Hello. This month's podcast is all about Brexit because we are facing a referendum on whether the UK should stay in or leave the EU. We'll also be hearing on the topic from Lord Heseltine, who has commented extensively on his feelings about Brexit and Remain. Uh, He also happens to be the founder of Haymarket, uh, I should disclose, uh, which is our parent company. So just just so you know, that's the that's the connection. Um, So I'm really interested in what you guys, uh, you know, have to say about the, the structure of how the campaigns going so far on each side i'm i'm going to play the role of the confused voter because that is in fact what i am um and i i'm finding it tough to follow sort of who supports what so you've got the tory parties sort of seemingly divided over whether they you know various politicians feel like we should uh you know remain or go and on the one side you have kind of very uh you know outward facing sort of spokespeople like boris and uh ian duncan smith for leaving and then obviously on the other side david cameron sort of uh you know trying to persuade us to to remain and that's that's quite confusing for the voter so Gemma, i was sort of wondering if you wouldn't mind talking us a little bit about the structure of each side and how it works yes so um what you have is britain stronger in europe so they're the uh people that want to stay in and then on the other side you have vote leave so these are the two kind of main um campaign groups Um, as sort of designated by the Electoral Commission. So with that designation, what that means is that they can spend up to £7 million on campaigning, and they also get about 600, of which £600,000 is uh, public money as well. So um, on the uh, stronger inside, you've got, it's it's headed up by Stuart Rose, uh, ex-MNS boss. Uh, The sort of uh, director is uh, Will Straw uh, Jackson. And, um, you know, it, it's it's sort of backed by the establishment, you know, the organisations like the CBI, most of the sort of high-profile Tories, with notable exceptions, uh, like you've mentioned. You've got all the living former prime ministers, uh, Blair, Brown, Major. Uh, so you've got... So it, it's, it's very much the sort of establishment um, backing uh, staying in. Uh, then on the um, the leaving side, you've got Boris Johnson, Michael Gove, Chris Grayling, Priti Patel, Ian Duncan Smith, John Whittingdale on that side. And of course, you've got Nigel Farage as well. Um, but sort of confusingly, he is more aligned to one of the other groups, which is Leave EU. So that in itself um, could be causing uh, voters confusion that there are there, there are these um, two. Um, Brexit groups uh, existing. Will, I'm interested, uh, you know, with your political marketing experience um, to know how you feel about how the campaigns are going so far. And, you know, where do you think voters are kind of sitting? Which side of the fence are they on? Well, I don't think this is actually a referendum on Europe. That's what everyone's going to do on the 23rd of June. But actually, it's lots of other issues that are at play here. And the way people have divided themselves up is not really around Europe. It's around whether or not you want David Cameron to stay or go, whether you want Corbyn to stay or go, whether you believe the Tory party should veer left or veer right, what even what to the extent what your 
politics are about how businesses should, should operate in, a, in the city or in tax zones. So there are all sorts of things going on here. And the referendum is around Europe, but actually that's not really how people are dividing themselves. In terms of this is now not the voter, this is the commentariat and the, and the politicians. It makes it really delicious from a, you know, uh, an observer point of view because you have people taking positions that are the opposite of positions they took only a few years ago. And they're doing that out of um, personal gain and... Um, we're talking about Boris here. Well, we're not talking about anyone. I think, it, I think it's the same for everyone. It, this is not a, you know, this is not a... To, to believe that this is just about staying and going is uh, is a really simplified version. And I think the other thing about this is if even if we did vote to leave, if you look at what's happened in other European countries, the government would then just form force another election, change the terms of the conversation, renegotiate and run it again so that we stayed. Mm -hmm. So I don't I don't think apart from the more extreme elements of the of the leave campaign, I don't think people think we will actually leave. Of course, that in itself presents a danger to the Remain because the people think, well, actually, you get two votes. So it's this its this gigantic game of 3D chess where everyone is trying to say the right thing and not say the wrong thing and not uh, give someone else hostage to fortune to go beat them up on. It's fascinating. Do you think the subject deserves to be a referendum? Because, as you say, I think there are more complex issues at play and there's a question over the British public that may not have an awareness of all these other things at play should be should be presented with this de decision without sort of fully understanding the ramifications. I mean, yeah, so let's put the public to one side for a minute because they're actually, ironically, at this stage, the least important part of yeah. the, the decision makers, <laughs> but there's a lot that's got to happen to now and then. I do think it is an important conversation to have. I do think that the fact that the referendum is happening now at a time when essentially the Tories are unopposed means that the, the Conservatives have a far... Uh, they're far more prepared to rebel. They're far more prepared to split the party and have a left and a right, a stay and a go, because they just don't think that there is any credible alternative. You know, Corbyn will not, he's not electable, so therefore they can blow themselves up in, in the public forum and Labour will still not get elected as long as he's there and the Scottish nationalists who are as successful as they are in the north. So what that's done is it's given the campaign much more spice than it otherwise would have had. If you had a really effective opposition leader, I don't think you'd have nearly this level of uh, fratricide. Um, but I do think it is an important debate. OK, so it's been hijacked by people for their own political interests. But I, I do think it's an important debate and I do think it's something that needs to be resolved um, and put to bed. We will talk about the uh, internal Tory politics in a bit because Lord Heseltine does comment on that later. But first, I will um, play, or we will play a clip uh, where he gives his thoughts on the tactics being used by both sides. I think that the tactics for both sides are quite clear. The uh, Remain campaign believes that Britain's self-interest is in Europe is enlisting the support of a very wide range of eminent friends, both uh, uh, from overseas governments, from international organizations, and from uh, companies in this country, and um, is concentrating on pointing out that the Brexit side has no answers as to what the dangers would be for Britain if we were to opt out of the European Union. 
the Brexit campaign have no answers, and so they have to divert the campaign away from the attack of the Remain campaign. And they do that by describing the everything that's, every warning that is used as the fear campaign. So this is Lord Hasseltine uh, making the point that, or sort of voicing his opinion, that the Remain campaign is much more fact-driven than, than the Brexit campaign. So, I mean, does this mean, in terms of just to continue your point, Will, about uh, division in the Tory party, I mean, could Boris end up, you know, with egg on his face, uh, you know, given given potentially the, the Brexit campaign is quite sort of fear-driven um, and, you know, maybe can't make these sort of strong economic arguments? I think the the really fascinating thing about this is where we are now compared to where we were a month ago. It's almost completely different. So when this thing started, people, the, the media particularly, had this clear-eyed view that actually it was going to be a referendum based on the facts, and they had a they had a very impartial position. They were pretty much, apart from the guys who were vociferously or in or vociferously out, they were pretty balanced, and they were representing both sides of the argument. That lasted for about three weeks, which I thought was quite good. I was quite impressed. And then, essentially, it just became increasingly difficult for uh, third-party organisations to continue to be balanced when the arguments seem to stack up so much in favour of staying. So the reason to go is because you believe in a sovereign Britain and you believe that we're better off on our own. You can't really back that up with any third party or scientific data that I've seen that says that's a good thing. So you have that as a core gut belief, which is why you think you should go. And I respect people who have that opinion. Liam Fox has been consistent on this for as long as I've known him. It's just difficult to make the argument that actually we would be safer, or richer, all, all that kind of stuff, based on everyone else who's come out and... and given an opinion as why we should stay. So if you're in the media, you're trying to present a balanced view, it's very difficult because the evidence is actually that we should stay. So I think what's happened, whereas before, when it started, it was fashionable to, uh, even fashionable to say, oh, I'm thinking about leaving. The reality was a lot of people were undecided and I would count myself in that position because obviously the sovereignty argument really does appeal to me. What's happened over the last month is that the sheer weight of uh, numbers and the people coming out making very valid um, reasons as to why we shouldn't stay has forced a lot of people, media and I guess me included, to decide that we're better off in. So how can you then present a balanced case about staying versus going when really only one of the cases stacked up? And then you've got the added complication of uh, you know people like Nigel Farrow sharing a platform with... Um, George Galloway, right, which is which is tough to emote positively about, and then you've got Boris, who an hour before coming out and declaring his desire to leave was assuring the Prime Minister that he was actually going to stay. So there, this whole thing about personal personal motives and, and political measures being muddled, it's just very difficult to get excited about that. Um, Lord Hasseltine also just. We don't have the clip, but he I think it's worth mentioning. He sort of went on to talk about the UKIP role and how how, um, you know, they're shoring up the Brexit narrative. And he also sort of mentioned an element of racialism in the Brexit campaign. And that there has been some mention of 
uh, immigration and tightening control of the borders. I mean, do you think that's an important factor, that sort of um, emotional fear factor around immigration, which is, you know, however you feel about it, definitely um, a point of interest to many voters? Uh, so this is interesting. Now we move from talking about the commentariat to talking about the voters, because the commentariat have pretty much stayed away from that whole issue. So Farage, obviously, he has he has previous on that, but all the mainstream Brexiteers, they've kind of not gone anywhere near that. It's it's a kind of live wire, and you saw you saw with Sadiq Khan uh, when you do go near that, peop- it doesn't play well. So that was a you know it was a fantastic vote, I think, for a kind of tolerant progressive London. When you move to uh, the electorate, the people who are going to make this decision in June, it's a different conversation because a lot of them are motivated by immigration. And if you're, you know, if you're in a school where you're the only white kids and everyone else is full of people who come from other parts of the world and English is not the first language, I can see that must be tough. I can really see that must be tough. It's not a situation I'm in, but I can empathise with people in that world. With my nice, comfortable, middle-class Surrey existence, I'm quite a fan of migration because I can see how it stimulates growth and it provides uh, the kind of labour to do our, run our service industry and make fantastic cups of coffee. But I'm also recognised that that is a very ivory tower position. Um, and so I can definitely see both sides of the argument. I think what it will come down to in June is how angry people feel about that. And um, the bit I don't yet know, obviously no one does know, is whether or not the fact that the commentators haven't campaigned on immigration means that um, people won't then vote on that way. If we had had a mainstream campaign where people were aggressively talking about, you know, the pitfalls of being in Europe and the hundreds of thousands of people from Europe that can freely come here, if that case had been made relentlessly, I wonder whether people would be more um, motivated to vote along those lines. But it's a bit—it's the dog that hasn't barked, I think, in this referendum. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, Gemma, what do you think? Um, yes, I was just going to say that what the um, Brexit uh, campaign seemed to be focusing on is this sort of taking back control uh, narrative. And one of their big uh, things that they're hammering is the fact that we give um, £350 million a week uh, to the EU. Um, naturally, they don't mention the fact that we get uh, quite a lot back in rebates but um, they're very much pushing this 350 million pounds because it's it's a big number it scares people uh, people can think about the fact that you know and, and they're pushing this that it could could it have should been be spent. our 350 million pounds, exactly yeah. exactly and it could be spent on the NHS uh, spent on you marketing know. magazine <laughs> subsidized marketing magazine campaign Cam- campaign campaign magazine. <laughs> So um, yeah, I, I think that they're so that they've got that kind of twin track of speaking about this big number, but then they also are very much focused on um, labelling everything as Project Fear when the Brexit, sorry, when uh, the Remain side come out and um, give, as Will was saying, give the facts. But this is just the. This was just a reaction to the Scottish referendum, which was a, a warm up for this. So, mm. you know, you know what happened there. Everyone said, oh, my goodness, they've got to vote to leave. And they didn't. They voted to stay. Close because, one thing, though. 
It was 10%, wasn't it? Yeah, it's 45, 55. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's mm-hmm. still, that's quite more, it felt uncomfortably close to me. Obviously, it's a big enough split, obviously, but I just felt that, that I was expecting there to be a much bigger gap, and I'm not a pollster or, you know. But I think this is going to be a 60 40. Mm. I think it's going to be a much wider vote to stay than the polls are predicting and people are saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it looks so. Put yourself in this position. Would you, would any three of us here, go out and vote to stay in Europe? Sorry, champion and march to stay in Europe. You're not going to stand on the street corner and say, I love Europe. That's not a fashionable position to take. <laughs> Whereas you would march and champion to say, I want to leave Europe because that's a positive affirmation. Um, so I think the, out, the inners tend to be a little more reclusive and shy than the outers. I think also if you look at, go back to the election, it's a perfect example. If you look, if you look at the election, the polls that the Prime Minister and the Chancellor were seeing said that there would be a Tory government. And the way they behaved throughout that last two weeks of the election campaign was entirely consistent with that. The things they're doing now, the way they're running their business now, the Queen's speech, is all predicated on him winning. There is no, to my understanding, there's no fantastic civil servant service plan that would allow us to leave Europe. There is no plan that sits in the drawer that says, this is how we would ex- extricate ourselves, this is how we redo all the trade and all the rest of it. It just doesn't exist. It, we would go into a flat spin. And I would say they're doing that because they can see the numbers are actually uh, far more on their side than, the, the, than you probably would permit, would expect. You just mentioned some recent history there, and I'm interested because you two have obviously been observing um, politics and political advertising for some time. I'm interested to to know whether you feel there are any historical campaigns um, that bear any relevance to what's happening now. So we reported um, in, I shouldn't say dates, we reported in campaign that MNC Saatchi had been appointed uh, to sort of lead um, marketing around the Remain campaign. And obviously, MNC Saatchi have a history in political advertising. So, is there are there any previous campaigns that sort of bear on what's happening now, um, or you know, it's interesting to sort of look at them in the light of what's happening now? I mean, I would have thought you'll see a dog whistle strategy. So, I would have thought you'll see posters in the run up in the two weeks because they've only got what seven million pounds. There's not a lot they can spend a lot. I expect what will happen in the last two weeks before the vote, you'll see a lot of posters go up for the leave guys that are uh, ostensibly clean and uh, op- optimistic but actually have a, um, a hidden undertone of uh, a nastiness in there. I remember there was a guy I was talking to when Gordon Brown was in power and he'd done a whole lot of research and was trying to persuade some people I was working with that we should use him. And basically what he says, you just have to say that Gordon Brown is Scottish. A Scottish Prime Minister <laughs> running uh, Britain is not a good thing at that point in time. And I said, you can't say that. You can't, you can't. It's a Scottish Prime Minister. It's outrageous. And he said, well, no, you wouldn't do that. What you have to do is you have to say, it is definitely not an issue that we have a Scottish Prime Minister leading <laughs> Britain. And that would, have, that would have done it. That would have set a series of trains in the moat that actually, and Brown would have reacted and it would have, been, would have been a mess. So there will be that sort of stuff, I think, that happens in the two weeks before May, the, June the 23rd, uh, certainly for the exiteers. I think, um, well, MNC Saatchi have form on um, negative campaigning 
and in fact um the big boss there tim duffy is is quoted um actually before uh they were announced as working with um stronger in but was quoted as saying that it would be the right and appropriate thing to do to highlight the risks um for the remain side as in he so, sort of outlined the strategy so that, he, that was his little pitch basically well it, it 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 seems to have worked if it was his pitch so, I mean, when you look back at um, some of the campaigns that MNC or or what was Saatchi's and Saatchi's back in the day have done, you've had Labour Isn't Working, uh, the very famous uh, poster campaign with the queue of people outside the Dole office. You've had Demonize, uh, which um, was attacking Tony Blair, though obviously that didn't work because there was a Labour landslide uh, in 1997. And um, you've also had quite a few attacks on Gordon Brown um, for the 2010 election as well. Um, maybe maybe not focusing necessarily on his Scottishness, but uh, sometimes sort of focusing on his strangeness. <laughs> um, so I do, so I think Will's right. I think we, we will see, um, I think we'll see some really interesting posters perhaps in the, when, when we're closer to the actual referendum. But I think the other thing you'll definitely see if you won't see, you won't see Cameron declaring victory until after the vote. So what there will be is there will be a leaked poll or a leaked memorandum in those two weeks, which is designed to terrify uh, lazy inners that they've actually got to get out and vote. And that's what worked so well in Scotland. I think actually it was unwitting in Scotland rather than strategic, but it certainly worked in the general election here. The whole get out the vote thing, when I was working back in politics as GOTV, we had a whole group of people who actually spent more money on that than almost anything else because you can spend all you like buying your posters, but if you're ferrying busloads of old ladies to go and vote Tory, that's a more effective way of getting a share than buying posters in, in Old Street. So um, that's something... Physically the, carrying the voters physically, to the polling station. Physically that, getting the vote out. Um, More marketers should do that. Physically I, carry shoppers to the store. Like I, I don't know, but you see, the interesting <laughs> thing, I don't know, I don't know whether or not the two vote leave and remain, actually whether have whether they have infrastructure that will allow them to know who their supporters are and get them there. It might be that actually they're, they're not really grassroots organisations, they're astroturf organisations for the sake of argument. And I don't know whether they can bust their supporters in, mm -hmm. so therefore they'll have to shock people into voting one way or the other. Speaking of shock, that leads me neatly into Lord Heseltine's next clip where he reiterates some of your points about sort of facts versus um, more emotional campaigning uh, and makes a reference to uh, Boris Johnson's recent um, comparison of the EU to Hitler. And this is what he has to say. I think that the Remain campaign are basing their case on the economic security of Europe on the stability of Europe and of Europe's position as a grouping of, a voluntary grouping of democracies who have preserved the peace of Europe for an unprecedented period. These are simple statements about British self-interest. The Remain campaign also have given figures indicating the economic benefits of our membership of the European Union. 
the problem for the Remain for the Brexit campaign is they have no figures to illustrate their case. And so they do have to do two things. First, to attack every argument for staying in and every support for it as part of a fear campaign. And they have to divert attention away from the political arguments for European cooperation by preposterous references to Hitler. Any immediate thoughts on, uh, on what Lord Hasseltine has to say? I think I... Um, so I'm deeply suspicious of old men <laughs> who are Me coming too. to the end of their lives... Uh, that's older men you'll think you're saying. <laughs> I'm deeply suspicious of old men who are coming into their lives making decisions that will impact generations before them. So I think actually, in this instance, I think Heseltine is on the right side of the argument. I'm more worried about people like Lord Lawson. Uh, and there are a whole cadre of people of that generation who see this as their legacy to pull us out of Europe. And I worry that they are in it for the wrong reasons. They're not bothered about the economic turmoil that would create. They're, they're not really care. They don't. They're immune to the. Um, they're immune to the impacts of those those decisions. That that's the bit that worries me. When I hear the older generation talking about us leaving Europe, I don't feel happy. I feel scared. Mm -hmm. The irony is, though, that it's the younger generation that are less likely to vote than the older generation, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, I've read some stuff that says the, the younger generation are more pro-European and, and are actually more engaged. If you look at, I mean, look at the Corbyn's support base, it's extraordinary, the, the number of people who, are vote, who have voted for him and have taken over, essentially taken over that party. And there is a trend for um, that millennial voter to do things that the establishment don't want. I mean, look at Trump, look at Sanders versus Clinton, and look at Corbyn. Um, the thing is, those people are really difficult to track down and poll, right? Because they don't, they don't answer the phone at home, and they're We're not staring at our computers all day when right. they're out and about. So we, I see you say we, and you put yourself in that camp. I'm certainly on that camp. So I, I, I believe that they will come steaming at the last minute and uh, make a difference. And I, and I think that will probably be the defining factor. And those people should have two votes anyway, right? Because. You should, because if you're going you're gonna to be alive longer than I am, you're going to have to unpick this mess longer than I am, and certainly longer than Lord Lawson. So you should get two votes. You should get two votes. I should get one and a half, and Lord Lawson should get one. Should we propose that? A radical a new system. <laughs> um, I'm going to move on very quickly to Lord Hasseltine's next clip. I asked him, I sort of asked him to sort of frame uh, what was happening in a sort of wider context, again, with those, as you mentioned, sort of dog whistle tactics. Um, and I, I think I asked him if he was worried by the fact that, you know, although there are very rational arguments being made to um, stay in Europe, as you say, Will, people are going to vote or people will make decisions based on their gut. And that means they may be, I think, potentially more susceptible to sort of the emotional arguments that come through. So this is what he has to say on that. Yes, it worries me across the world because I see Donald Trump in America, I see Le Pen in France, I see the Dutch and the Germans, and I see UKIP in this country all arguing the same thing. And it's all basically about fear and immigration. And whilst I'm the first to recognize that you have to regard this as an important issue, you have to have policies to deal with it, 
the idea that this should be the dominant reason that Britain leaves Europe, I find quite unacceptable. Thoughts? Uh, Look, it comes back to his Hitler point. So that was a massive, deliberate overstatement by Boris, the, the old dead cat strategy, to try and shock and electrify the thing, say the unsayable. It's not shocking anymore, though. I mean, everyone's just throwing out Hitler all over the place. I mean, Livingston, multiple <laughs> mentions, now Boris. I mean, I'm just becoming sort of inured to the whole thing, really. Yeah, I think the, the damage is actually more on him. Um, and I think it's very difficult. Well, that's no, not true. But it's, it's more difficult to imagine him as a prime minister. The more he slips away from being statesman-like to being a lunatic, the more difficult it becomes. Whereas Gove, I think, has deported himself in a, in a reasonably uh, well Madame May. But the... There's a really good piece about the protected and the unprotected, which Peggy Noonan wrote, and uh, Peggy Noonan, Nancy Noonan wrote, and it's all about how the guys who have the power are making the laws, and they're the ones who are protected from the the laws they make, versus the the rubber rousers, the Le Pens, the Trumps, all the rest of it, who are in a different camp, um, and they're saying they're the real people. And there's no doubt about it. So first of all, we're not the first generation to have gone through this, right? So it has happened before, and we have to. We have to recognise that this happened in the 30s and probably the 70s. You know, so it will come and it will pass. But you just have to bet that people have got enough common sense at the end of the day not to vote for people like that into power. As much as, as much you know, we can think whatever we like about the Americans. I spend more of my as much of my time there as I do here. Ultimately, you just have to believe they're not going to vote for a man who wants to build a wall between Mexico and the US. And you have to have that faith in humanity. And it's the same with Farage here. You just have to believe that people aren't that stupid. Mm -hmm. I don't think they are. If you look at how they choose their brands, you know, coming back to the core of what what we do here, we sell people brands based on either rational behavior or emotional behavior. It is predictable, right? So they are following a pattern. And you just have to believe that they will apply the same sort of scrutiny and logic to how they choose their political leaders than they do how they choose their shoes or their mobile phones. Mm. I was just going to say, um, Farage did get four million votes at the last uh, general election. So there there is... People are stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not not for me to say. (laughs) But um, But Sure, but that wasn't enough to give them a majority. There always will be people who vote for people like Farage. That's cool. I'm talking about the the kind of sentient majority who will not. And there's always more of those. Wisdom of crowns, there's always more of those than there are of the looms, in mm-hmm. my view. Mm-hmm. Just to get your closing thoughts, what do you think will happen on June 23rd? I think it will be um, a close one thing, but Britain will vote to remain in the EU, is my thought. Uh, I think the if you want to call it fear-mongering um, or putting the facts out depending on what, what side you're on I certainly think that a lot of the undecided people will take a look um, at the at all these facts and all of the uh, figures that are saying we're better off in and sort of come down on the side of voting to, to stay. I mean you've got to remember that David Cameron uh, whatever you think of him. He's just only been elected Prime Minister um, with a Tory majority last year. So there are still a lot of people who respect the authority of him being the Prime Minister and will um, vote with uh, with the leader, with our leader. 
I think that the vote to uh, stay, the vote stay guys will win by about 15%. I think Cameron will announce he is going to retire at the end of the year and kick off a leadership process that for a coronation in probably May, a new Tory leader, a new Prime Minister. Next May. Yeah, next May. Um, they have a spring conference and then that would be a good time to anoint someone new. I think at that point, um, if Farage, if uh, Corbyn is still very much in power, then I think you could end up with Osborne, uh, who is um, who is Prime Minister. But I don't think he's actually electable. I think he's I don't think he's electable by voters. If Corbyn is looking dubious and likely to get chucked out, then I think they'll skip a generation and go down to some of the more interesting, smart next generation. I don't think Osborne necessarily. I don't don't think he has that sort of I must be Prime Minister at all costs. That's not that's not how I read him. And I think if he thought he was going to be Prime Minister and lose, he would rather not do the job than, than do it badly. So as ever, it's not a straightforward uh bilateral unilateral decision, vote one way, get another. It's it's something that will be decided in the round, but it's certainly not going to be boring. We'll come and find you next year, Will, and, uh, and hold you to account for your predictions. Uh, thank you very much both. You have been listening to the Marketing Mind podcast. I'm Shona Ghosh, and a special thank you to our producer, Nan Davies, and to our host, Something Else. Also to my guests, Will Harris, uh, Gemma Charles, and Lord Hesseltine from afar. You can join in the conversation on Twitter following our hashtag Marketing Mind or tweeting at Marketing UK. You've been listening to the Marketing Mind. 